G'day folks, welcome to the Expedition Kayaks podcast, our uh, couple of monthly um, journey into into the, the paddling world we inhabit, tales from, from our mates, a few from us, a few views and opinions on, uh, on sea kayaking and ocean paddling around our part of the world in Australia. I'll be joined from time to time by my my mother, rather more podcasting shy uh, buddy and business partner Rob Mercer in Expedition Kayaks, and we hope you enjoy listening to our ramblings. G'day, folks! Welcome to episode three of the Expedition Kayaks podcast. We've uh, we've had some um, some feedback on our on our last couple, um, most of it good, which has been really pleasing. A few a few commenting on the fact that maybe we weren't quite as polished and professional as some of the podcasts around the joint but uh we're willing to keep on having a crack and uh and hopefully come up with something that people enjoy um this episode is a little different to the previous two which were about people and and places this this one's an expansion of a chat that rob and i had on our way back from a a a big uh event last year in the car went for a couple of hours actually talking about our well first about our worst 10 kayaks we'd ever paddled and then and then about the best 10 which was a long chat and with lots of debate the worst 10 you're never going to hear no the worst 10 you'll probably have to uh wait until the uh, the crowd around the fire has thinned out somewhat and then possibly top us up with whatever you have handy and uh sit back and listen to something that's probably quite funny but it'll have to be single malt yes rob it'll have to be single malt. and out of respect for the people who designed the boats and also many people out there who are probably still paddling them um we'll keep those to ourselves for now but come and give us a tap one day you might find we're we're freer with our uh, our advice on those so as you can hear i'm joined by rob g'day folks um we we do find ourselves as the last guys standing sometimes at um at after you know presentation nights at pot paddling events or sitting around campfires and invariably the conversation turns to kayaks and kayak design and what do we think of this and what do we think of that so we thought we might have a yarn for for 45 minutes or so about the boats we love and why and uh a little bit about where we came from with boat design that maybe um, form those opinions and also where we think it's heading because there's been some big changes to Seacock design in the last three or four years and we really truly think it's a sign of things to come. So Rob, you, you've been paddling a lot longer than, than I have. How, how did it all start for you? Well, it, it actually didn't start in sea kayaks. It started in recreational kayaks. And when I, when I started paddling in Australia, there were only about two or three um, sea kayaks available. They were all composite and they were locally made. And anybody who owned a sea kayak knew you. And if they didn't know you, they wanted to know you. And um, if you drove past somebody with a sea kayak on the roof, um, it was such a momentous thing, it was such an unusual thing, you tended to give one another a wave and maybe pull over to the side of the road and talk about sea kayaking because it was such a rare thing. And uh, if you didn't know people, you'd tend to try and wave them over so you could have a talk to them about their sea kayak. Uh, the other thing about sea kayaking at that stage is that the assumption when you bought a sea kayak is that you were either going on an expedition 
or you were planning to go on an expedition, the first question people would ask is, oh, you've, you've bought a sea kayak, you've joined us to go to do some sea kayaking, so what big trip have you got planned? Um, whereas nowadays, people will tend to paddle just for the joy of paddling as much as for doing big trips. So, so when was this, mate? The 1970s? Oh, not quite that far back. <laughs> But, uh, you know, probably closer to that than it is to 2019 anyway. But, um, yeah, so, so basically all the boats had been originally designed to do expeditions and, and they were all uh, prized for their straight tracking, uh, their gear carrying capacity and their, and, and their high volume. But those things didn't necessarily make them all that much fun to paddle. And um, so... In order to try and expand our range and, and looking at overseas magazines, because there wasn't much video, so most of what you were looking at was actually still images, but it looked like people overseas were doing a lot more with boats that were rudderless, uh, boats that had more rocker, boats that were a bit shorter. It all looked like a lot more fun, but it was very hard to get hold of these these rare commodities in Australia. So I started building plywood boats um, for myself and Sharon with a good mate of mine and a mentor of mine, Andrew Eddy, and we had a lot of fun building them. We learnt a lot about how to, how to alter them to change their performance, and it also gave us options that weren't available in Australia, including getting a boat small enough for Sharon, who, um, who at about 50 kilograms, um, certainly was way too small for everything that was sold locally at the time. Um, her first attempt at building a plywood boat was a plywood by Darker. Um, we'd no sooner finished it than we decided we'd paddle our plywood, brand new plywood boats from Sydney to Jarvis Bay, which we did into a pretty solid headwind with big surf landings every day. We learnt a lot from that. We learnt that Sharon's boat surfed better backwards. <laughs> um, we learned that uh, plywood hatches almost invariably need duct tape if you want to keep them dry. Um, but we also learned that we finally had a boat that fitted her and that allowed her to paddle um, using all the skills that she'd developed in big boats and actually get a result from them. So edge one way, the boat turns rather actually, than just yeah resisting actually, the edge and holding yeah, up and yeah. being a big buoyant thing yeah it actually worked it wasn't like she had to climb out of the seat and lean over the edge uh, trapeze style to get <laughs> the boat to turn um, so the only real drawback with those at the time that i could see is that they were very hard to keep to keep watertight once you uh once you cut holes in the deck for hatches um Certainly, we never wanted to waste any time or effort in putting retractable skegs or rudders on them. So you spent a lot of time on a crosswind day with one knee under the deck and, and, and a big edge all day. You'd get out of the boat with a big bend in your spine. And uh, I must admit that that wasn't all that much fun. But it did mean I was so hooked on rudderless paddling that when, my, when the Nagy came around, Dave Winkworth's revolutionary boat at the time, I was first one of the first on the list and fortunate enough to actually get one. <clears throat> we still got that boat downstairs, don't we? We do indeed. An absolute work of art. Absol Dave's incredible full Kevlar build. Yeah, beautifully yeah. built boat. Yeah. And uh, that boat, that boat um, took me thousands and thousands of kilometres of short trips, long trips, all the way up Cape York, 
Um, it was certainly a very, very capable boat. And, uh, yeah, one that I found very hard to uh, part with, even though nowadays um, I've got so many other options and I'm happily paddling all sorts of other things. It's a little bit of history that I'm not really willing to let go of. And it's still, for a lot of people, it's still a boat of choice. Yeah, you betcha. Um, well, my paddling began um, in a fairly typical Sydney way. I, I got into it, set my sights on the Hawkesbury Classic, which is a 100-kilometre race uh, just north of Sydney overnight, run at the, at the, um, just before the start of summer each year. And it becomes a goal for a lot of people who are new to paddling in these parts. I managed to get my hands on an old town Nantucket, which was a 32 kilogram plastic American, how would you call it, a bird watching kayak really? Yeah. But the, the salesman in the shop down at the spit told me that it was a fantastic fast sea kayak for the Hawkesbury Classic and I took that line on good faith. Um, I punched out a 17 hour 53 Hawkesbury Classic. I think <laughs> I was the third last guy home. <laughs> Finished it with my thermal top, swathed around my head, blisters everywhere. Um, and funnily enough, I was hooked. Uh, but yeah, that was a pretty awful boat to do the Hawkesbury Classic in, in hindsight, considering what we chugged down in 10 hours in nowadays. Um, so I moved from that to a really fast sea kayak, the current design Storm, another <laughs> plastic North American boat for the following year. Still pretty fixed on the Hawkesbury Classic, but by this stage, having met Rob, and a bunch of the guys from the local kayak club um, getting into to surfing them a bit more. And I took myself on a bit of a crash course in boat skills by getting down to places like Maroubra Beach and Wanda Beach and surfing my sea kayak until I couldn't really stand up anymore and getting smashed and bashed and rolling and doing all those kinds of things. Um, usually by myself, which was a a good way to learn but that's probably not what i'd recommend people do nowadays with, with so much good coaching around um did another hawkesbury in that one um the following year ordered my first composite kayak which was a greenlander pro from the good folks at penguin in um in um in tasmania their sort of legendary boat uh, evolved into something that was a bit sleeker and faster and I really enjoyed that. That was very much like the, the, the straight line, hard tracking boats that Rob was talking about as being available back in the day without an awful lot else going for them other than carrying gear, being efficient, being nice and stable. And then um, Expedition Kayaks happened and we, um, we got our hands on a container of boats from Valley, which, which hadn't been imported into Australia for quite a few years at that point. And the skills and um, techniques I'd learned, a little bit like Sharon, that hadn't really been um, all that successfully applied in these other boats that I'd owned, all of a sudden I'd jump into a, a Nordcap or a Aquanord a LV, remember that was the first plastic yeah. boat we got from yeah. Valley, and suddenly I was able to turn them and move them. They were nimble, they were fun to paddle, they were engaging. And uh, that started a long period of time trying and testing out a whole range of, of British skeg boats. Mm, the, the Aquanaut LV in Rotomold was a, a bit of a revelation for us because it was very tough. You could make all sorts of mistakes near the rocks and as long as it was the boat that hit them and not you, um, it, it would bounce really well. But not only that, for a boat that was modelled along a touring boat shape, 
was actually very loose tracking, very, very forgiving boat, but also a very responsive boat, surfed really well, gave us a lot of confidence. It also gave us a taste of things we'd only, only really dreamt of doing, um, watching videos, especially the newly minted Justine Kagenvin series. This is the sea. That, that, mm. that hit us between the eyes, didn't it? Mm. We, we went from thinking sea kayaking was all about surviving surf and going long distances and carrying gear to get somewhere to seeing it as an end unto itself for fun. Yeah, just the sheer joy of getting out there on a rough day in amongst the big waves. Suddenly that was enough reason to go. Um, and in, in fact, rather than, you know, can we, can we get from A to B, carefully watching the forecasts and avoiding certain sorts of conditions, we were starting to challenge ourselves, um, having seen what was clearly possible and having the boats, the same boats that we were seeing in the videos, and boats that really were uh, very capable of handling the rough water, um, that gave us gave us a lot of confidence to, to push forward with uh, with using those boats, and and also uh, promoting the whole idea of of paddling for the fun of paddling, um, learning. I think Mark describes it as a very three dimensional way to paddle. Um, using your edges, using weight transference and trim, and getting getting fantastic feedback from the boat as to what it is you're trying to achieve. And, and I think these boats, even to this day, have have a valuable place in in learning how to paddle. It's interesting when you're trying to coach somebody in a straight tracking um, or hard tracking expedition boat, the type that have um, been very popular in Australia for a long time. Uh, it's almost impossible to show them how to make a boat turn on its edge because the boat just won't do it. And they, you can see it in their face, they become very frustrated that they're doing everything right. But the hull design just isn't allowing them to experience the, the, the application of the skill um, in getting a result. So I think in combination with um, the, the, the good design, because they were good designs, mm. really good designs, so much fun to paddle and so engaging, and, and the, the broad appeal of Justine's videos, um, there was a real spike in people interested in improving their skills and exploring all of the possibilities of a sea kayak rather than just the, the touring capabilities, which is, which is what we'd always seen them first and foremost um, as being all about. Yeah, yeah. It's, the other thing about it is we, we then... For the first time, we're able to offer some boats for smaller paddlers. That's right. There was nothing in the market for smaller paddlers. Valley came along with the Avocet LV, hmm. which to this day I think is probably still one of the all-time great kayaks for a small person. Not made anymore, unfortunately, if you oh. can get your hands on one. Yeah. Uh, but good luck with that because I don't think I've ever seen one for sale. No, no. The people who have them seem to seem to hold them pretty close, even if they get themselves a, a more... A more um, capable long distance expedition boat it's uh it's it's just such a good all-rounder and day tripping boat for a small paddler that I, I i don't think uh i don't think there's been anything quite like it it's funny when we first 
when, when Valley came out with a, a smaller version of their Nordcap, their world famous and, and iconic Nordcap, and they called it the Nordcap LV or low volume. We didn't really know what low volume was and what it meant. And I can very clearly remember asking them to leave the LV stickers off the first lot of LV boats we got because we feared that people wouldn't buy a boat that was small. Yeah. <laughs> and in hindsight, they became something that we were really well known for. That is providing a range of boats that genuinely fitted small people. And it's something we've, we've, we've carried on to this day um, in the boats that we choose to bring into the country. And also now with the, the launch of the Audax low volume um, imminent, um, we, we understand that people need to have boats that fit. Yeah, yeah. The because the market was so small initially in Australia, it, it really was must have been a, a desperate situation to have a small person like Sharon turn up for the first time, and know that all the boats were really being built and designed around somebody six feet tall in the imperial measurements and weighing about you know eighty to ninety kilograms. It was. Uh, that, that that was the target market. You would have been crazy if you were only going to make one boat to have made it for anyone smaller than that. But what it meant is putting a small paddler in that was like putting a small bushwalker into big boots and just packing them up in more and more pairs of socks because that's all anyone could offer uh, Sharon is, look, just, just put more foam in the boat. In the end, we were putting layer after layer of foam in the boat that she'd still fall out of it. So it made a lot of sense to suddenly have this range of boats. The other thing is for, for day tripping, it was surprising how how easy it was to put a a bigger person in a smaller boat and, and, and get a different sort of experience to what you'd get out of the big volume boat. As well, Justine's videos were very much focused um, on women in sea kayaking. In fact, the very first movie she made I think the first scene was her and three of her pals wearing fake beards <laughs> yeah. and bikinis and bikinis to highlight the fact that this is a, this is what a sea kayaker used to look like and folks this is what we look like. Yeah. <laughs> so 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 that that had a great um, influence on women I think to get out there and give it a crack as well something that had always been seen as a strange old chap with a beard sport as opposed to an inclusive one. Mm. Oh, it was very inclusive for old chaps with beards. It was. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, so after that, we, I suppose that it's amazing how often you'll follow a particular line of inquiry when you when you're bringing something into the country or developing a product range, and and it was very clear that of of the initial boats we brought in, the Valley boats were the clear winners. They were the first one that really really stuck in our market and we, we we pretty much let our market decide. We gave them options, but the valley boats were the ones that they really went for. And, and, and just after we'd been in this for a little while, there was a, a short but exciting explosion, uh, bewildering in retrospect, in hindsight, into uh, Greenland style paddling in Australia. And um, for a short while we, we had a, uh, a, a big demand for um, a boat called the Greenland T. Um, Long and black. Yeah, very lean, 
beautiful lines and, just and the Greenlander which was even leaner yeah I think I had to shoehorn my end of that one yeah where the exit was nearly not an option not an option yeah just as well it rolled so well yeah um, and, and the only and they were great fun um, amazing to roll amazing yeah. to roll small, I mean. small surf and flat water fantastic but clearly the conditions they were designed for and every boat is a reflection of the conditions that it's meant to deal with uh, but we were really quite astonished at, at what happens when you keep pursuing that line of less and less volume um, in order to avoid the wind. If you get, <clears throat> if your only enemy is the wind, that's a great idea. But often with our winds and a longer fetch, the wind creates big waves. And uh, those boats demonstrated to us just how, when it does get big and bumpy, volume is your friend suddenly we realized that there were some real limitations on the sorts of water you could deal with in a boat that had so little buoyancy. I think that slowly, slowly um, changed what was looking like becoming a more general, um, general usage boat um, into more of a niche market boat. There just simply wasn't the volume to deal with our bigger our bigger coastal conditions, especially when, with onshore winds or longshore winds, where the wind is, is nowhere near as much of a problem to deal with as the waves that it's producing. Yeah, it was, um, I guess they weren't really designed to paddle big water because in the climates they came from originally, if it was 25 knots, I, my guess was the hunt was off. Or, or, they, or they'd be choosing fjords Somewhere and narrow places that were hidden away from the, from the, the um, exposed open water, even if it was still exposed to the wind. And certainly they were very good at that. They still are very good at that. Actually, the boats from Scandinavia that we've seen over the years, designed for fjord paddling, essentially, to stay out of wind, where wind is the thing that can really put you into trouble, as opposed to swell wind-generated waves... They haven't really cut it in our conditions, have they? They haven't really had the volume for um, for the sorts of wave shapes and 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 moving water that we get on our coastline here. Yeah, the market has sort of taught us that. At times, we've thought, well, we may not like this, but maybe our market will not like. We may not be able to use this these particular designs in all the conditions we paddle in, but maybe our market will still like them. But by and large, as times progressed, it's been quite clear that that, that that trend towards lower and lower windage at the pro, at the price of lower and lower buoyancy is simply not, not working for the majority of paddlers in our paddling environment. Um, and it, it's an interesting reminder as to uh, how much the design of the boats is, is predicated on the sort of conditions they're going to be paddled in. So we had some fantastic boats in that first period that we were importing, especially from Valley. We had the Nordcap, I think the Jubilee, yeah. which uh, has been superseded by the Nordcap 40, which has taken away the, the twitchiness of the Jubilee, um, made it a much more user-friendly boat for people to paddle. Um, so you still get your Nordcap, you just don't get your, uh, your nervous moments in it. Um, but it was a spectacularly elegant boat to paddle. In many ways, a boat that you, uh, once you paddled one, nothing really felt the same. Mm. Nordcap buyers, owners, became very difficult people to sell a second boat to because nothing felt like it. Yeah, even even though 
um, Valley themselves at times have claimed since that the Jubilee and even the LV were the result of of incremental changes to the shape that were as much to do with repairing the mould or, or, or fitting bigger people into the boats as it was to do with any concerted design philosophy. Well, even if that was the case, the, the, the accidental formula they, they stumbled onto with those two boats, I believe, was a very good one. And again, coming back to the idea of volume, they had a bit more volume. Um, they had a very pleasing way of, of picking up a wave and, and sort of bouncing rather than burying when they got to the base of the wave. And loose. And they had a very loose loose character to them. They had loose tracking. Um, and if you're going to have a skeg, I, I personally believe if you're going to have a skeg, you use it for tracking when you need to, to offset a weathercocking condition. Um, but when you bring it up, you've got a boat that's highly manoeuvrable. I, I think that's preferable um, in that style of boat to having a boat that tracks hard and then have a skeg as well. I mean, it seems like, well, what's the point of the skeg if it's already tracking? So we, it, it, during this period, certainly for our business, we were always on the lookout for something that was going to carry a bit of gear and cover distance um, and probably have a rudder. Yeah, look, I was I was pretty impressed that the Brits were able to so successfully do long trips in such low-volume boats. And because we needed to be loyal to the boats we were selling, it was the only time I used to look enviously upon the local product at the time because I knew that, firstly, I wouldn't have easy packing in my Brit boats if I was doing a multi-day trip. And secondly, once they got weighed down in the water, they they, they tended to uh, change character. They weren't anywhere near as much fun to paddle full of gear. So when we finally got our hands on some rock pool boats, the one I was really looking forward to and the one we really targeted was the rock pool GT. Because it, it at five and a half metres long, with a lot more uh, fullness in the bow, a lot more just general volume overall um, it promised to give us that missing piece of the puzzle that that bigger volume still playful um, moderately fast boat that we could use with a sail up to cover distance and still carry the sorts of um, <clears throat> expedition loads that people are used to carrying in Australia I think the other reason why you need the extra volume here is the need to carry water. You know, the need to carry water is a quite a usual thing on, on many stretches of our coast, being a very dry continent, and that can easily stretch into a 30 litre, you know, which equals 30 kilogram extra load just to carry water. In Western Australia, I've been told they carry sometimes up to 40 or 50 litres of water. Even, so, even on Eastern Bass Strait where there's water almost everywhere you still have 20 in the boat every day as a reserve just yeah. in case you get to an island that has no water or the water supplies dried up it's it, it's just a, a fact of life here and i'm not sure that 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 carries um, worldwide no. some of the greener northern hemisphere places i think don't have quite the same challenge so as much as we loved the gt and that was the first bigger volume boat that we had that had, had some wheels had a bit of speed mm -hmm. um not long after came the, the real game changer for us, which was the Tarrant, the Rockpool Tarrant. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it's, it's um, well, it was a, it broke the mould 
in so many ways. Um, you know, evolving from a downriver racer with a big, what people at the time called an ugly plum bow, um, a dead flat underside section in the hull that planed like a surfboard when a wave got a hold of you, um, and volume, mm. quite a lot of volume for carrying gear. Mm. So we um, we were very enthusiastic about it. Um, we both grabbed one, didn't we? We did uh, when when the when they first arrived and and we actually unpacked one. I I, I just did not know what to make of it. No, it's the strangest looking kayak yeah. I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. I, I looked at Mark and I looked at the boat and I thought we may very well have just wasted a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> what is this thing? What is this? But for all that, it um, it it the the speed in the ocean that it gave, especially if you were aggressive, especially if you really pinned your ears back and paddled hard, um, totally changed the game. You know, it was nothing for it to cruise at eight or nine kilometres an hour mm-hmm. in any kind of sea state, really. Yeah. Um, and suddenly, big days weren't something to be endured; they were something to be looked forward to and yeah. to be to be taken by the scruff of the neck and 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 you know have a terrific day out on the water covering ground it it also forced a, a bit of a rethink in a number of ways because the boat itself almost demanded the extra input that you could only really get consistently by using a wing paddle that's right i've watched british sea kayak forums and 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 uh, social media talk about this boat emerging and I think they're a lot more traditionalist than we are. I think they're a lot less inclined to use a rudder because it is seen in some quarters over there as a sign that you're not a very good paddler. In fact, I can remember a very well-renowned paddler saying, if you need one, you mustn't be very good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that may have been true when rudder boats were um, designs that needed a rudder to track because they weren't very good designs. And I think that's essentially what they were to begin with. But suddenly there were boats that Sea Kai could sea kayaks coming out with rudders that were there from the very beginning mm. were designed to have it and uh it wasn't there as a band-aid no. to cover to cover a performance weakness the whole boat had been designed around the assumption that there would be a rudder there that's right and i often hear people say oh how does it go without a rudder and my answer is the same it goes the same as a skeg boat goes in a side wind if the skeg fails probably not much fun mm. probably something you're going to have to concentrate to get yourself home with um, but would you be willing to uh, design out the benefits of a really fast hull, something that goes like the clappers, goes downwind really well, to make it track harder just because for the 0.0001% of the time when the rudder might fail because you haven't maintained it properly, um, um, it tracks and it'll get you home easier as opposed to not at all. But look, the, the, the reality is that it's very hard to make a design that, that responds well to the rudder and doesn't need it. It's as simple as, you know, I mean, that might sound like an oversimplification, but I think you'll find that all the best rudder designs are boats that don't work well without a rudder. Um, and those that, that work okay with the rudder um, certainly don't get the full benefit of it if they track hard enough without it if that makes any sense having said that you can you can easily and i've done this you can easily um, 
substitute a skeg for a rudder in any of the fast touring boats. We've modified some just as an experiment to see what works. And they work beautifully with a skeg. With the skeg deployed, um, you know, boats like Rockpool Tower and Pace 17 or Audax will all perform really, really well with a skeg. But then you've got to ask yourself the question, is that going to be any more reliable even if you do it? And the reality is that over the years, if I, if I logged the number of on-water failures or, or mishaps that I've had with skegs not working versus the simple um, over-the-back rudders that we use from um, SmartTrack, Smart Track, um, the SmartTrack rudders are more, way more reliable than the retractable skegs. I've never found a retractable skeg that was anywhere near as reliable as that rudder. Well, it's less inclined to get banged around in a surf landing because it's made of nylon. It can't. The, the, all of the uh, tolerances around the blade and the retracting mechanism for the blade are a lot simpler, and you're far less likely to get a pebble or a piece of shell grit stuck between the blade and the skeg box. And uh, and there's no no cable to kink. Yeah. So anyway, that's that argument, I guess. We haven't started a rudder versus skeg argument there, have we, Rob? I, I hope not. <laughs> it wasn't meant to be if we did anyway, because mm. if it's got a skeg, it's meant to, in our view. If it's yeah. got a rudder, yeah. it's meant to, in our view, yeah. and and get out there and paddle them. Um, mm. You know, the, 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 the snobbery around um, having a skeg boat and being able to paddle it... Um, I've always found pretty pretty strange. In fact, quite humorous, really. I've, I've never really... I've always wondered why that seemed to manifest itself as some sort of a badge of honour. Having, having said that, if you, if you do a bit of an apprenticeship on a boat without a rudder, you'll never regret what you learn from it. That's right. Well, I remember Sean Rice turning up to our... Um, he was a, if those who don't know who Sean is, he's a um, previous and challenging at the moment world surf ski champion to give us a coaching lesson down at Botany Bay. And Rob had an Excite, a tide race Excite on the roof of his car. Yeah, that's right. And as we were uh, milling around, waiting for Sean to, to, to begin his um, his coaching clinic, he, he walked over to it and pointed at it and to all of the assembled surf ski paddlers who probably never really even paid much attention to something that looks like an Excite. <laughs> and he said, now this is the thing you guys need to learn to paddle. He said, you learn to paddle one of these and those edging skills transfer to a surf ski, especially downwind in the ocean, really well. And um, I was quite uh, taken that A, Sean knew what a skeg boat was, and B, that he had so much, uh, su- such kind words to say about what you learn if that's the way you, you learn how to paddle a kayak to begin with, because he learned on downriver races and things which had fairly similar characteristics. Hmm. Yeah, so that was so that was the Taran. That was the Taran episode, and and certainly to this day, it, it it remains one of the most influential and important game changers in terms of two things: the ability to do to do long distance expeditions in a way that made them a lot less fatiguing and a lot more fun. Uh, it also pointed the direction that some of our touring boat designs could take if we wanted to broaden the appeal of this idea so that it was accessible to a wider widest range of skills within the paddling community so that people wouldn't be aiming towards a boat of that type as an end point after developing 
balance and confidence and skills in other boats, but could actually step straight into a fast touring boat. When when the Tarrant first came out, we'd, we'd plonk it on the grass along with our other demo boats at events around the country, and uh, people would walk around it at quite a safe distance. I used to think there must have been a tiger snake sitting <laughs> in the cockpit. Just in case it tipped them over if they got too close. We also had a very respected kayak luminary loudly stand next to it, point at it and say, that's not a sea kayak and I would never paddle one of them and it's no good because of this, this, this and this. And uh, man, he was just totally wrong. It was an astonishing statement considering he'd never paddled it. And um, it did give us a little clue about what happens when you come out with something that is so different looking and breaks a whole bunch of rules about, uh, about what a sea kayak is supposed to be. And, and how really the true test is how the thing paddles, not how it looks or not what somebody tells you it'll do. But as Rob said, we were after something that, um, that broadened the appeal. And um, about the same time as um, the first Tarans hit the water, we started to import Tide Race. Um, and we got our first look at the designs of, of Alan Williams, a guy that we'd seen in Justine's videos, surfing Tide Races. And, yeah, yeah. and uh, he looked like a pretty good paddler. Um, so we were pretty interested to see what he was like at designing boats. And um, first off, we saw the uh, the first one we got was the the Explore, which was their version of a Nordcap style um, skeg boat load carrying tourer. Um, and the Excite, which was a flat planing hull, very much like the Taran, but a more playful uh, design. Mm. Uh, they were both pretty damn good. Having said that, the, there was so much hype surrounding the Excite in particular that when we jumped in it on Botany Bay, which was the closest place to the office, having unpacked them all, yeah. I was I was amazed I was amazed and 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 really I must admit quite underwhelmed that it that it wasn't more spectacularly manoeuvrable or insanely able to do tricky things. Um, I was I was forgetting that. It required one essential ingredient that wasn't there on Botany Bay. And that was waves. Waves. <laughs> so it was it was another couple of weeks before we actually got it out on some waves, and then realised what what was the what the big fuss was all about. To this day, I think that's one of the challenges of demoing some of the boats is they actually they actually don't reveal their real character until you actually take them out in a, in an area where there's at least some wave action. And try and engage with some some water that has some energy in it, rather than just plot around the bay and try and second guess what it's going to be like when you take it outside. Well, the lesson there: if you're going to buy a kayak for the ocean, well, that's where you want to try it. If you're going to buy a kayak that promises rough water performance, don't paddle it around in circles on a river to test it. Get it out at sea, give it a crack out there, and see how it yeah. feels, because that's the only way you'll know. And that's the only way you'll come to understand why it's regarded as a good rough water boat, because that's what they do, good rough water boats. They look after you out there. So the, so the Excite became absolutely cemented as one of our all-time favourites. And over time, some of the things that made it an all-time favourite, for me personally, were the fact that you could still carry some gear in it. You could still go places. It had a good enough cruising speed for all of its flat hull and all the rest, 
had a good enough cruising speed so you could keep up with the group. You could also surprise and really surprise a lot of people in a downwinder, given that it was basically a, a boat that was just one step off a park and play boat. But once you got the hang of it, it could catch ocean runners and, 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 and skip along at a very impressive clip. Then when you got to the surf, of course, you had the last laugh because it was magnificent in the surf. The other thing about it was it really pointed the way, as did the Taran, in terms of looking at the seating position that we'd, we'd all learnt to endure in sea kayaks, that the four decks were higher, so the knee, the, your knee could be more bent. Um, to greater or lesser extent, the front of the cockpits were a lot narrower, so the alignment of your joints between your foot plate or your foot pedals and your, and your hips that the alignment of your knee joint and everything else in that in that line. So you couldn't sit like a frog as you, much. Yeah, you didn't have to sit in the frog position to still re- retain some connection with the deck of the boat. And this was a clearly a very deliberate, very deliberate um, change in design by both Howard Williams and um, and the people at Rockpool. That's right. The next shipment we got from Tide Race had a boat that we were really looking forward to, which was the Pace Seventeen Tour. Um, we were most interested in how stable it was hmm. Hmm. because um, we figured it was probably quick enough and whilst the Taran um, changed, the, changed the game, um, there were probably a few people who bought it who shouldn't have. Hmm. Um, it did take a bit of uh, concentration if you weren't going very fast in moving water, for example. A really stable boat once you got cracking and not an unstable kayak, but not a boat... Not a boat for everybody. Um, the Pace 17 Tour turned up, and it was. Hmm. It was a boat that, that an experienced paddler would love to paddle in any sort of conditions hmm. and get a lot out of. Um, Speed-wise, every bit as quick, really, as, as anything that had come before it. And Not quite as quick as a Taran, but not quite. such a small increment over distance that it was academic, really. Yeah. And... Uh, Massive amounts of reassurance and stability for people who, who weren't, you know, quite as uh, quite as happy out in the big stuff. So suddenly there was a boat that instantly broadened the appeal of a fast touring boat um, through its well, essentially through its stability and its ergonomics. That's right. Five point two meters long, so shorter. Yeah. But still, big waterline length. Yeah. As long a waterline length as similar more conventionally shaped 5.8 metre boats or more. Well, on our, on our uh, trip to Tasmania last year, there were four Audaxes, um, fast, fast, fast sea kites, the boat that we designed and built here, and Andrew uh, in a Pace 17 tour, and he lost nothing to us. No. He lost nothing to no. us in a boat full of gear. Um, you, you wouldn't finish that trip and point and say one was clearly better than the other. Mm. Um, so it is quite a remarkable design in many ways. Um, it, it was also interesting because around the same time as the Taran, there was a renewed interest in attempts at converting surf ski designs to sea kayak designs, by, uh, especially by some of the major surf ski design companies. And um, I think everybody got used to the idea that, that that was as good as it got in a Plumbau design boat. Then the Taran came along and shook all that out. Um, Clearly, kayak designers are better at designing kayaks and surf ski designers are better at designing surf skis. 
And I think that was further reinforced when Albert Williams, from a very, very solid background and, and incredible reputation as a kayak designer, um, his first real attempt at designing a touring sea kayak that was a fast touring sea kayak was the Pace 17. He designed the Pace 18, which was more of a, a, a lightweight uh, touring come racer, but his first solid utility all-round fast touring kayak was the Pace 17. And it was just so clearly a step up from any attempts to just graft a deck onto a ski. And it certainly, for us anyway, put paid to any need to explore that as an option. It began with stability as its first principle. Yeah. Everyone has to be able to paddle this. Yeah. It has to look after you in rough water. And I think I think that's a really important consideration anytime you, you look to a boat that has to look after you on a big trip where you might have to sort yourself out. Yeah. Get something from your day hatch by yourself. Um and you don't want to be wobbling around when you're doing that. You want to know that you're you're on a nice solid platform to do it. Very predictable. Yeah. At all quarters. No hard surfaces, no chines. No. Um, yeah. A, 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 and not long after the, the Pace 17 Tour came out, a, a smaller version, the Pace 17S, came out, adhering to some principles of, um, you know, that are important to smaller paddlers, tracked a little harder because smaller paddlers are more likely to be affected by wind. Yeah. Uh, ergonomically scaled down so that they fitted better. Um, not an awful lot smaller dimensionally or lengthwise. A tiny bit narrower, a yeah. tiny bit less freeboard, a little bit less windage. Uh, it was a true scaled down design rather than just a, a, a cut and shut, chop down of the big boat. And Lovely. I think that makes a difference. Yeah. Yeah. So that, um, that was the precursor for us to, to the Audax. Um, we've been tooling around with the idea of designing a kayak um, well well, in advance of the Pace 17 Tour turning up really um, the, the, the Taran was the boat that gave us the, the, the motivation to, to have a think about what one would look like if we were to design a fast touring boat um, that's probably a, a tale for another uh, podcast one day the, the tale of the Audax uh, but I don't know about you Rob but I've, I've done one big trip in it um, Bass Strait, Eastern Bass Strait crossing last year in a, as diverse a range of conditions as you'd ever hope to have and I personally loved it I was always worried that a boat that had commercial appeal that people would like across a broad spectrum of skills I would personally find a bit boring um, and if I didn't find it boring if I found it engaging and exciting then then gee we probably got it wrong because it's, it's not going to appeal to people who aren't so skillful but um, but it's a great boat to paddle. It's it's Rob's design. I, I just loved every minute of being in it out there. Um, you know, re- if you put your head down, it goes really fast. If you sit still, you can pull things out of your day hatch, take a photo, um, and neutral in the wind. All all those good things. Um, so I'm pretty proud of the fact that 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 boat turned out the way it did. And uh, we're only a matter of a few weeks or a couple of weeks, hopefully, from the mold for the low volume. Audax coming out and uh, that has been tested to the end of the earth by a range of paddlers smaller paddlers skillful paddlers not so skillful paddlers in all sorts of sea conditions and the feedback for that's been fantastic as well um, 
so I guess that's that's our next port of call as far as as what we have uh, in our in our range. Um, and then I guess we get to, to where it's headed. Um, where where do we go from now? Skeg boats um, will always have their place, but it does appear that the the boom, certainly in our part of the world, has has ended and uh, and. The Exceed was Tide Race's latest offering. It's a boat that combined the the uh, playfulness of the Excite, although not to as much of an extent, with the touring capability of a boat like a boat like the Explore, which preceded it. Yeah, it's and, and it's it's also got more more bow volume than the Explore, so it's it gives you some speed, a dry a, a drier ride, some reasonable wave catching capabilities load carrying ability but also but also a fun boat to paddle empty so as a almost gone full circle back to the one boat that can do everything i think a boat like the exceed is a very contemporary take on the skeg boat but the in parallel with that um there's there's also quite an exciting development well there's two really um, there's boats like the Exceed, which is um, extra. extra. Sorry, yep. the Extra, which is which is even flatter bottom than the Excite. Good. And there's a plastic version called the Vortex, which we, which we yeah. have as a boat here in Australia. And so, the out and out park and play people, there's still a boat there for them. Um, the the overseas marketing that. This boat will keep you up with the pack when you're going from place to place and still give you something to play in when you get to the other end. Um, I, I think at the sort of paddling speeds that most people consider to be social and acceptable in this country, that might be stretching stretching the credibility, credibility a little bit. Yeah. It's certainly not going to get you places quickly. But if you're still after that park and play type capability, it takes it to a very high level. But the one that we're really sort of excited about is the tide race action and action s it's the one we fight over whenever we're doing a coaching class together it's almost like we dash to put our gear in it before the other guy can absolutely i sometimes put stuff in the day hatch while still on the roof (laughs) so i define the action so the action is a short boat it's um uh just under 15 feet long 4.7 meters i think has a very similar footprint to the old Excite um, as far as what the water sees. The, the ends have been locked off to, to, um, to give it a true waterline length. It doesn't have a chine. No chines in it at all. They've all been fared, so it's slicker through the water. Uh, it has a rudder. Um, and put your head down and paddle hard. It's, it's quick. Well, it's as quick as any of the skeg boats. That, that we've ever we've ever paddled um, as far as straight line speed and we test that we we test that over a 10 kilometer course with a heart rate monitor on believe it or not and we we check to see the point where your heart rate starts to rise without your speed increasing over the over the course of 10 kilometers which is quite fatiguing and uh, that's the mark you know 95 percent accurate where uh, where we figure its whole speed sits and the the action has a terminal hull speed somewhere around about the early early nines, nine one thereabouts, which isn't far off boats like the Nordcap, um, 
and some of the other longer waterline uh, skeg boats that we've had over the years. So quick enough um, and pull the rudder up, drop an edge and you have a boat that's every bit as manoeuvrable as the playful um, the playful uh, skeg boats. Maybe not quite as um, nimble as the, the out-and-out play boats like the Vortex Extra and the Valley Gemini. Wouldn't be far off, though. It's uh, a great surf. It's yeah. got c- carrying capacity, you know, maybe like the Excite, maybe enough for a, a, a three-day long weekend yeah. carrying gear to get Nice somewhere. trip out to Broughton Island. Yeah, yeah. I, I um, you know, the, we do a wonderful circumnavigation or near-circumnavigation of a peninsula here called the Beecroft Peninsula. It's about a 25-kilometre um, trip. Uh, along a cliff line with features a kilometre or so apart along a very bouncy, reboundy sort of of, uh, of waterway. And you can paddle a boat like the action in the runners and the ways between features, put your head down, paddle hard and fast, have a great time doing that. And then when you reach your cave or your rock garden, up comes the rudder and you've got a phenomenally manoeuvrable boat to get in and out of things. Mm-hmm. Um, fast enough to, to be as quick as anything out there and manoeuvrable enough once you're, uh, once, you're, once you're into play and enjoy the coast, which is what we all like to do when yeah. we see kayaking. Easy to roll. Yeah. Um, so that, that is the closest thing in my eyes to what is coming. I, I very um, firmly believe that that is the kind of design that sea kayaks are going to gravitate towards over the next 10 years. Um, just as they've gone from um, very traditional boats to fast tourers in the last 10 years. Yeah, almost almost trying to pick up some of that versatility that the skeg boats have, but with the efficiency of the modern fast touring shape. Yeah, I'd be interested to see what people in Britain would think of it because it does fall outside the acceptable look Yes. Of a boat that uh, that they seem to seem to, to think we had a we had a uh, couple of Brits in a in a group that we coached um, in November at an international guides event tell us that uh, British kikes don't have rudders, <laughs> mm. and we said yeah yeah they do we we sell them and they're really good, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think they were they were possibly waiting for the merit badge to say we don't paddle with a rudder thank you very much we're British. Mm. Um, but yeah, that is a that is a boat that I think um, I think people people would be quite impressed with if they gave it a shot. Um, although it is a mile outside what people are used to seeing when they see a sea kayak. Hmm. So there's been some genuine changes, not just in how things look or the packaging, but actually in terms of how they perform and what they have to offer you. Not just in terms of the shape of the hull or the way the deck looks. Seating positions have changed in line with better understanding of biomechanics and the general performance of the hulls in the water has become more and more in terms of what's really happening rather than just in terms of how they look. At the end of the day, there's always going to be a little bit of melancholy for someone like myself to see see some of those beautiful shapes, the elegant shapes like the Nordcap shape, no longer no longer take its its prime position as the boat everyone wants to paddle. But um, at the end of the day, performance, comfort, 
these are the things that people are after. Yeah, so getting to lists, if you had to name your top three boats, Rob, what would you say? Do you want me to go first? Oh, you better go first. So, well, so let's leave the Audax out. That's a boat we designed and, uh, and, and we're probably too humble, you know, because that's what I'm certainly well known for is being too humble. Oh, yeah, humility's um, your middle name. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm so modest, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so we'll leave the Audax out of the equation. Um, I, w- I would have to put the Excite down as uh, my favourite skeg boat of all time. Um, I haven't paddled the Exceed an awful lot, but I just used to love the way that boat performed and handled. And a really close second would be the Extra, which is now the Vortex in plastic. Um, the only thing that the Excite had over the Vortex was speed if the waves were bigger and you had to paddle a bit harder to get on them. But the way those things shift around on waves was just such a joy. Um, you know, really a great boat to paddle. Um, as far as the out-and-out skeg boat, um, skeg boats go, um, the, 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 the Excite wins the, the Tourers. Uh, it's pretty hard to go past the Pace 17 Tour. Um, as much as I loved paddling the Tarrant, um, I think an expedition boat needs to be something where you're completely assured in rough water. Um, it's the kind of, the Tarrant's the kind of boat that if I was paddling solo, I'd probably think twice about in a group, as in when we did our North Reef trip. Bloody hell, what an amazing boat to paddle in those sort of conditions when you're ripping into it. Um, and the action, I, I find it hard to go past the action, probably for all the reasons I love the Excite, and also for all the reasons I love the Tarrant. <laughs> um, I think um, they're probably the three that stand out for me over all the years of, of having done it. But you've just mentioned at least six. Yeah, I know. You've cheated. Well, hang on. How many boats have we imported? Well, 40? Uh, oh, no. More, maybe 50? Maybe more. <laughs> different think models. About yeah. Different models. Think yeah. about some of the Tahi boats we've yeah. had. And, yeah. you know, like, so, yeah, six, I think, out of all. That's not a bad, not a bad um, display. Do you want to have a dash at the top three? or? No, I'm going to have a dash at the top six. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right, well, we don't want this to drag on all afternoon. No, here, no, 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 no. No one's paying for the whiskey tonight, No, mate. that's true. <laughs> I'm going to say the Nagy because I had such a long and, 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 and enjoyable history with it and I think it's still relevant for a lot of people today. Yeah, I've never paddled a Nagy much, so yeah. I, I just know that you've always had a soft spot for it and mm. considered it to be a great boat. Mm. Yeah. Nordcap, because I, again, because I, I have such fond memories of using it and it, it was such a versatile boat for me, especially with coaching in rough water. Great boat to get up close to people for rescuing in difficult conditions and plenty of speed when you needed it. And it looks great on the roof. Very important. Very important. Then I'd have to say, without a doubt, the Tide Race Excite. I agree with Mark there. So there's three. Sadly, no longer available. No longer available. Valid, if you're listening, dude. You know, yeah. let's. What about a, a rehash of the Excite? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. We're hanging on to our demo, aren't we? Because we, are. we can't bear to part with it. We are. Yeah. Um, then I'd I'd have to say I'd have to say the Taran. Um, as much as anything, because of the 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 place that it holds in breaking the mold, 
and break and challenging people's assumptions about it, but also, if for no other reason than the incredible incredible fun that it gave us on the North Reef trip, and on our uh, degree in a day paddle, except that Mark didn't have one. For no, me. I didn't have one. I had a boat that didn't perform anywhere near as well. <laughs> that day really proved it too. Did, but didn't, never it, didn't it prove it? Yeah, that's right. What I would I would have I would have paid ten thousand dollars for a Tara at about the, at about the sixty k mark that day. <laughs> Pace seventeen because in a way it's the it's it's the new all rounder. Yeah. And and definitely the action. Definitely the action for all the reasons that Mark said. And if I could put in an honourable mention there, it would have to be for the Valley Gemini Plastic SP. Yeah, so I like the Vortex more than the Gemini, but you've been more of a Gemini man, haven't you? I haven't tried the Vortex. You've never, whenever we've had both, you've always jumped in the Vortex before I've had a chance to try it. So that's a that's a joy that still awaits me but that nice solid thump when the when the gemini comes down the face of a big steep wave and 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 pops back up again is is very very reassuring it's a great little boat hopefully one day you'll let me get in the vortex and i'll find it's even better thanks mark oh thanks rob so there there you go there's a bit of there's an hour of ramblings we didn't really expect it to go on for that long but um Maybe one for the boffins. Um, this is a conversation we've had many times over many years with a lot of different people. So we figured today might be a day to, to put it down uh, so people can listen back to it and have their own opinions. If you have a different opinion or you have a boat you'd like to mention, let us know. We've been surprised by the amount of correspondence we've got about our two podcasts so far. Um, even to the extent where we may have a uh, an Ask EK uh segment at the end of each uh of each of our podcasts there's been some quite amusing questions come in um a couple of funny little anecdotes so if you if you'd like to uh like us to discuss something or ask us a question um please feel free to send it in and uh and we'll give you a bit of airtime on here and um and maybe maybe have a laugh at, at your expense hopefully or our own of course thank you for listening Um, and stay tuned for the next episode of the Expedition Kayaks podcast.